Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. So important that you recognize what Jesus is now doing as we get to these chapters directly before the crucifixion. Jesus speaks principally in parables. As I shared last time, parables are these stories that are simple yet profound. They are not to be taken literally. They are describing something that you as a believer needs to get. You need to think about it. And so Jesus tells the disciples these parabolic stories to get us thinking about who we are as God's kids. This morning, true discipleship and the cost of it. What does it really cost to follow Jesus? Now, probably some of you are going, well, grace is a free gift. Amen, it is. Amen? But because it's free, it does also not necessarily follow, and in fact is not true, that your salvation is cheap. It cost God the Father his own son. It cost Jesus his life, and it will also cost you your life. You're trading your old life before Christ for a new life in Christ. You are becoming a disciple. And that is the focus of these four very simple things that Jesus will share as we finish up chapter 14. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are just so grateful that you would cast off the glories of heaven and come to this earth and relate to us in our finite minds. Lord, our inability to understand and know all things as you do, we're grateful, God, that you would speak to us simply. And so we ask that you would instruct us from heaven. Help us to know what it is to be a true disciple of yours, Jesus. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Verse 25, and we'll finish chapter 14. And now great multitudes went with him, and so you can kind of get the picture here as Jesus is traveling. He's been speaking, he's been in synagogues, he's ministered to people who are hurting, he's healed people of all manner of sickness, he's caused the blind to see and the lame to walk. He is about as famous in the region uh, of, of Galilee and of Perea and of Judea as one can possibly get. And so people are following him. They're essentially waiting to see what he will do and or say next. And as he's approaching Jerusalem, as he's coming to the cross to give his life a ransom for us, he now sees this crowd and he turns and he speaks to all of them. And so this is very important when this type of thing happens in the gospel specifically, you should insert yourself into the crowd. This is God's people. This is people who are followers of Jesus. Notice that they went with him. And so he turned to them and he says this, if anyone comes to me, And does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. Now stop for a moment 
And now you understand why it's important you know that Jesus is speaking parabolically. What's the first commandment with promise? That you would honor your father and mother, that it might be well with you, and that you'd live long on the earth. Amen? So do you think Jesus is contradicting his own commandments? The answer is no. So where people get hung up as they read these words, well, you know, I'm a real follower. I hate my dad. Can't stand my brother. Going to beat my kids. Hallelujah, I'm a disciple. Somehow they translate this to, to seemingly say that if you're just mean-spirited and angry towards everyone who possibly loves you, that you got to be good with God. And so you can end up in this legalistic place, well, you know, I hate everybody. That's not what Jesus is saying. So what is he saying? And that applies to this whole passage. What is Jesus actually getting at? Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. Focus in on that word. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he's laid the foundation, he's not able to finish, and all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king? Going to make war against another king does not sit down and first consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends his delega delegation and asks for conditions of peace. In other words, he surrenders. She surrenders. And so likewise, there it is. There's the similarity. There's the similitude. There is the same statement. The kingdom of heaven is like. Here is the key to understanding this. And so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And so that we would understand it, salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? For it is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears, let him hear. What is Jesus saying? Repeats this word disciple, and I think it's so important. And again, if you don't have your cell phones and you're not looking at the notes, you can get them later. Go online and peruse these things for your own edification, I pray. The question should come to your mind as Jesus gives this call to discipleship, to being a disciple, what is it that he's saying? What does true discipleship actually look like? What is it from a biblical perspective? Look, we're saved by grace through faith. Amen? Everybody say amen. You're saved by grace through faith. You come into a right relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son by believing on the name of him who died for you. That he paid the price for your sin, you didn't pay it for yourself. So there is a step one to discipleship. You have to be a disciple in order to be a disciple. You get what I'm saying? You have to start somewhere. Many of you, I'm sure, have a profession. Maybe you're in an apprenticeship program right now. And so it's important for us to get this principle. Otherwise, we miss what Jesus is saying. What is it, by definition, that is a disciple? It's a devotee. It's a follower. It's a learner. It's one who's taught under the authority of someone else. It's a scholar of someone else's teaching. It's one who's a representative or models another person. It would be an apprentice, would be a great word. And for those of you that want to really modernize it, it is a pupil of a specific master. It is a Padawan learner of the original Jedi master, okay? 
This, this is Yoda teaching Luke Skywalker about the real force, the Holy Spirit. There's a beginning. That beginning is when you give your life by receiving Christ, that gift of faith that allows you to be a believer, which is also the beginning of your discipleship. And from there, that's when you learn how to bring an X-wing fighter out of the swamp by just going like this. And the reason I'm saying that is it's important for you to understand this principle. If you don't get it, then you think that you're automatically a disciple the moment you get saved. While it is true you started and you are named as a disciple, a true disciple is someone who actually walks with Jesus, talks about Jesus, learns about Jesus, follows Jesus, studies the Word, is a doer of the Word, not a hearer only of the Word. It is a much greater thing than simply one who is saved. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, a lot of people think, well, sure, I'm a disciple of Christ. But they stay infantile. They're what I call binky believers. They're sitting there going, you know, they're sucking on their binky of their initial Christian response to the gospel. They're not actually real disciples in the sense that they're growing in Christ. They're maturing in Christ. They're being edified in Christ. They're becoming more like Christ. Do you get the picture here? That's why Jesus focuses in on these things that are similitudes. You see, it's more than just being a believer. It's working hard at mastering the master's ways. And high on the list, and probably first and foremost... For us who love the Lord, it is us learning what his word says. And then as James 1.22 says, be a doer of it, not a hearer only. You see, a disciple is something very specific. And you should be a better disciple every single day. You shouldn't be satisfied with being an infantile believer. You should want to grow in Christ. You should want to be more like Jesus. And so Jesus, in order that we understand that, tells us four stories that are simple that help us grab this concept. What is a true disciple? I'm going to give you five things. You can jot them down. You can download them later. But let me give you five things that should be true, and we'll focus in really on just one of these for most of our time this morning. Five things that should mark you as a disciple. In other words, say to other people, you're not just saved, but you're on the path to discipleship, and you want to be a better believer. First and foremost, we believe the Lord's doctrine. Remember, we're a follower of someone else, right? I'm taught by someone else, right? I'm an apprentice of someone else, right? I'm a Padawan learner of the original Jedi of the real force, Jesus. Amen? So I want to know everything Jesus wants me to know. Where do you think the best place to find that might be? You're holding it in your laps. It's on your cell phones. It is the Word of God. I believe and trust in the Word of God. This is so important, church, because we are actually defined by what the Bible teaches, not what a political party's agenda is. Did you hear what I just said? We're defined by the Bible. We're not defined by our affiliation with a certain group on this earth. I am defined by what the Bible declares is true. To be a real disciple is to be a believer in the totality of the Word of God. 
That's who I am. I am a Bible-believing disciple. I believe the doctrine that the Bible plainly teaches. A second thing, a real disciple is someone who rests on the sacrifice of Jesus. I trust in what he did for me that I cannot do for myself. Do you understand why that's important? Because the beginning of the journey is you saying yes to the sacrifice that was paid for you at Calvary's cross so that your sins are forgiven. That's the beginning of the journey. If you don't believe that one thing, the rest of it doesn't matter. You can't just be a disciple and skip step one. You see, there are a lot of people who know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus personally. That a disciple does not make. That just means that you know what the Bible says. It doesn't mean that you believe it or do it. So a real disciple is one who rests first and foremost on the sacrifice that Jesus made for you on the cross. I believe literally that Jesus Christ, God's own son, went to Calvary's cross for me and died for my sins personally on that cross. That's what I believe. I'm resting in that sacrifice. That is the reason and the reason alone that my sins are forgiven. I have believed on the only begotten Son of God. And so my sins are clear. God doesn't hold them against me anymore. So I who was unrighteous, dead in my trespasses and sins, exactly as the book of Ephesians declares, he has made me alive. That's a real disciple. You can't skip that part. You can't just go to church and be a real disciple. Did you hear what I just said? You can't just go to church and be a real disciple. A real disciple, that does not make. Being baptized doesn't make you a disciple. Believing on the only begotten Son of God, that makes you a disciple. That's the beginning of the journey. A third thing. I have a different power source, hence my use of a silly metaphor, the Star Wars series. For those of you that are fans, we know that the predominant player really in the whole series is the Force. May the Force be with you. You know, that whole thing. There's a measure of similitude with that. I believe there is another force that now inhabits me. It happens to be the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The third thing about a disciple that you should note is you are filled with a new power source you didn't have before. That power is the Holy Spirit. Our power, our passion, and our purpose all come from the Holy Spirit. Our power, our passion, our purpose all come from the Holy Spirit. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not a believer. It's part of the transaction that's made when you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Immediately you are indwelt with that power. Now to the extent that you appropriate it, you can use it. So if you just diddle around and go, well, you know, I'm saved, then you're going to be a binky believer. You're going to wander around your whole life going, come on, give me some more sugar. Tell me something sweet. You're not going to be able to do what's in this passage. Because notice everything that's here is, guess what? H-A-R-D, hard. Not easy. It's difficult. A fourth thing. Here it is. You're no longer your own. You imitate his example. You live like, walk like, talk like, you are like the Lord Jesus himself. That's the command of real discipleship. You can't skip that part. You see, I have people all the time, well, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a disciple. And I ask him, a disciple of who? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Because if you are, then what the word means is you're a follower, you're an apprentice, you're a learner, you're someone who takes what someone else is, and as best as it lies with you, you emulate that person to the nth degree. Why is that important? Because that power that's in you, that passion that's in you, that purpose that's in you, will begin to make you more like Jesus. 
Instead of being bitter, mean-spirited, and angry, you're going to be loving, gentle, peaceable, and kind. You get the difference? You see, the world will make you bitter, mean-spirited, and angry. You'll hate virtually everything, but the Lord Jesus in you as a disciple will begin to fill you with the Spirit, and that will make you imitate who he is. That's why when people get mad at me, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. No, I'm literally trying to be like Jesus. I could do no better. I couldn't give you any counsel. If you came to me and said, Jeff, what should I do? Be like Jesus. Talk like Jesus. Walk like Jesus. Act like Jesus. Be holy like Jesus. Do what Jesus said. You're going to be a great disciple. Amen? comes from your Bible. All these things are attached to the Word. And a fifth thing. Wash, rinse, repeat, counsel, and teach other people to do exactly the same thing. Too many people become a disciple of Jesus and then they become a disciple of a denomination. Or they become a disciple of a specific pastor or they become a disciple of a certain belief system that is inside of the greater whole, which is discipleship, they become a disciple of something other than Jesus. May not be inherently wrong, but it's always less than best. I want to counsel other people to pick up God's word and to learn every single thing you can from it. I want to encourage you to do exactly what Jesus declares you should do and be what he declares you should be. I want to teach you to be like him. That's what he wants. So when you come to me and you've got a problem in your marriage, expect me to counsel you to do what the Bible says. Don't expect me to go, well, you know, I'd divorce him too if he ever did that to me. <laughs> you know, after all, I mean, who wants to live with a guy that only makes $110,000 a year? You understand what I'm saying? You see, we can start to be a disciple of something else or someone else or some other kind of thinking. I've watched people become disciples of modern psychology. Well, you know, I just, you know, I was born with poor self-esteem. Well, your Bible says you're a child of the king. I don't know why you have poor self-esteem. The heaven and the earth is one day going to be yours, so get over it. <laughs> you understand? How it changes your perspective, doesn't it? You see, I want people to be like Jesus. I want to give you a passage to kind of drive some of this home, and I'm going to cover it very quickly. Please read it all later. So if I were to tell you that there was one chapter you could read, it's Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. For the sake of time this morning, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I will highlight a few things and give you some things from it that can help you understand. When I tell you I want you to be like Jesus that Jesus wants you to be like Jesus, and the best way to do that is to learn what his word says and follow it and do it. This is how we know this. Colossians 3 begins, if then you were raised with Christ. You know why that's important? Because that's the first step, isn't it? If I'm raised with Christ, the reason I'm raised with Christ is because he was raised from the dead. And I believe in him, so I also am raised with Christ in that sense. I am heir and joint heir with Christ, the Bible says. Super important. You, you see, if you look at how this begins, then seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the earth. You think that might be helpful to you right now? As you're watching the news... You're agonizing over the Dodgers' loss last night. Sorry to bum all of you out. 
but we get our mind on the things of the earth. You think when we get to heaven, it's really going to matter whether they win or lose the World Series? Yes. No. No, it's not. Some of you were thinking, well, I think so. No. It isn't going to matter. It's not a heavenly thing. It's an earthly thing. It's an earthly thing. You see, part of our problem is we are focused in the wrong place. I've had so many conversations with people, and it goes like this. If so-and-so doesn't win the presidential election, all is lost. Do you know that's not true? That's not true. That is absolutely not true. All is not lost dependent on the person who rules one country on the face of the earth. All would be lost if Jesus is not Lord. But all is not lost no matter who wins or loses the presidential election. All is not lost whether the stock market is up or down. All is lost if Jesus is not Lord. You see, heavenly perspective, earthly perspective. It's huge. It is huge. And so as you read the remainder of these verses, I want to give you 10 things that you're going to find here. One is I need to seek a heavenly life now. That's what your Bible declares. My life should be guided by my view of heaven, not the view of earth. You can see that in verse 1. A second thing, get your eyes off the junk of this world. Get your eyes off the earth. Verse 2 says it plainly. A third thing, you're not going to like this one. Don't hate on me. Bible says it. You've got to die to yourself. In case you hadn't noticed, you're probably not going to get everything that you want in life. And the moment you decide that I am dead to myself and I am alive in Christ, you're going to be fine. But if you keep thinking this life is all about you, dear brother or sister, you are in for misery the rest of your days. Because there's no satisfying you, nor me. Fact of the matter is I want what I want. Any of you ever gone to a nice restaurant and you sit down, they bring your favorite meal, and the first thing you do is begin to whine. Well, it could be better. <laughs> you, you can't even get past the fact that you have the opportunity to do something that most of the rest of the world doesn't get to do, and you're whining in your spirit about the au jus. <laughs> Amen? Am I right? It's like, well, you know, it doesn't have enough salt in it. It's not warm enough for why is that? Because the heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, I know what's true about me. There's no satisfying me. None. Now, there's things that I enjoy. I'm sure there are things you enjoy. There's things you like. I'm sure there's things that you like and I like. We probably like some of the same things. But at the end of the day, I can always find something to whine about. And so can you. I need to die to myself. Stop doing that. Go, Lord, if I were to die today, I win. When you count your own life as not dear, as the Apostle Paul said, you're going to be fine. Another one you're not going to like. Again, don't hate on me. Read your Bible. You've got to kill off the old man. That is not your husband's, ladies. <laughs> that's the old man that's in all of you. Kill off the old woman, too. <laughs> Amen? Why? Because that old you wants to rule, wants to reign, wants to be resurrected, wants to jump up and say, yo, serve me. You have to get brutal about this particular thing. You once walked this way. You have to put off anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy language. 
Don't lie to one another. Put off the old man and his deeds and then put on the new man. So the fifth thing is you have to do a swap of garments. You were dressed as the old person. In this world, you've got to dress in Christ and be who he wants you to be. That means you're going to be kind and gentle and forgiving and loving. That means you're going to overlook other people's faults. You're going to forgive because you've been forgiven. You're going to be merciful because you have had mercy poured out on you. You're not going to be judgmental because you have not been judged in your own self. You've been judged in Christ. He paid the price for you. Do you see what it does? The old you dies and the new you raises up. This is what it means to be a disciple. It's not just to make a public profession of faith. That's merely the start. Necessary as it is. But I need to be something quite different than what I used to be. A sixth thing, and again, these are all found here in chapter 3. Verse 14, you must let love be the supreme thing that guides you. Love. Do you notice what I just said? It's because the Bible says that very plainly. Above all these things. What things? Putting off the old and putting on the new. Everything that you can do, everything that you can be, all that you think, everything you are, the way you act. Above all these things, put on love. So now does it make sense to you why 1 Corinthians 13, which follows 12, which is about the gifts of the Spirit, the supreme gift of the Spirit is? It's love, isn't it? It's not doctrinal correctness. It's not the severity of God. It's not the supremacy of the, of the Lord. It is nothing save God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you begin with love and that remains supreme, you're going to be okay in your doctrinal thinking. Because love should be what guides the church. It's what guided Jesus. It's what put him on the cross. Jesus didn't go to the cross simply because he was sovereign. He went to the cross because he loves us. And we're supposed to live a cross-like life that loves like that. A seventh thing, letting the peace of Christ rule in my heart. Man, do we have reasons to not have the peace of Christ in our hearts right now? I went into Home Depot and people were, they're, they're buying cactus and they're arguing about the presidential election. Well, you know, I, I think that one's Trump. I think that one's Biden. The thorns are longer on that one. Yeah, well, that one's stouter. It's like, my goodness. And then the guy goes, aren't you Pastor Jeff? <laughs> yep. Oh, man. The peace of Christ. Rule in your heart. Be thankful. Be thankful, church. We need a wave of thankfulness to sweep over America right now. We have the reason to be thankful. His name is Jesus. We should be thankful people. We should be peaceful people. We should be loving people. We should be people who... Show Christ to the world and don't show the world to the world. You see how these things all link together as disciples? This is true discipleship. Keep the word of God in you at all times, it goes on to say in verse 16. Then ultimately, we then live as Christ's representatives. I'm not my own sales rep anymore. Any of you had people come to try and sell you something at your house and it's like you feel like if you don't do a bathroom remodel, you're going to hell? You know what I'm saying? It comes, it's like, well, you know, I mean, your neighbors are going to drown in the water that comes out of your bathroom once all the pipes burst. You know, and, and again, I'm not knocking anyone. I'm just saying when you have something that you really believe in, you sell it, amen? How about we 
sell the world Jesus, and I mean that in the positive, not the negative connotation, that I am a representative for Jesus exclusively. I have an exclusive. I represent one person. His name is Jesus. I don't represent a political party. I don't represent a, a, a movement of churches. I don't represent a certain history in the church. I represent the Lord Jesus. Amen? This is who we are, church. This is who we are. This is what it means to be a disciple. And so to explain this in these parabolic statements, Jesus gives us four things that we can cover now very quickly. Here's why. Notice what it says in verses 25 to 26. Family can keep you from being a disciple. They can get in the way. Anybody ever had your parents tell you that you're absolutely nuts for being a Jesus freak? I have. You're crazy. Why are, what are you doing that for? We could make millions. I will never forget the day when I stepped down from my corporate position and said, I'm going to go into ministry. You would have thought that I was holding a gun to my head and was contemplating suicide. The look I got, the words I got, you know what I had to do? I had to hate my mom. In that moment, I had to say, you know what? You're not hearing from the Lord. It doesn't mean that I hated her literally. It means that what she was saying was from the enemy. I could have been swayed by that. Why? It's my mom. I've had those experiences where I had to choose between family and Jesus. You got to choose Jesus. You got to choose Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying here. You got to choose Jesus. Otherwise, you're not his disciple. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It means you're not a really good follower. If you're not willing to forsake, if there's a relationship in your family that comes between you and Jesus, and that relationship in your family is not of the Lord, if you will not forsake that relationship, but you'll cling to that relationship instead of Jesus, you're not ever going to be a great disciple. And I, I have talked to hundreds of people who've told me about the heartache of children and of parents and of aunts and uncles and cousins and people that they know that they're close to, children especially. Well, you know, Dad, I want to live this way. I'm sorry, son, but this is not of God. And I can't change what I believe so that you'll feel good about your sin. I love you. I will always love you, but I will follow Jesus first. I'll believe what he says. So the Lord's not deprecating love for family. He's simply saying, I have to be first. I got to be first. A second thing. It's just like a construction project. Now, coming from a construction background, being the project manager on that building, I can tell you there's a lot of things that go into a construction project, and you better consider all of them before you start building. If you're going to be a disciple, it's going to cost you something. Let me tell you a little secret. It's going to cost you everything. You're going to burn the whole budget. Everything you have is going to be spent following Jesus. Your time, your talents, your treasure, all that you are will go into that project of being a disciple. And so Jesus says, he says, look, if you're going to build a tower, you, you don't want to get started on the tower and get halfway through, and then people come and they mock the Lord, go, oh yeah, well, he's a great disciple. Look at that thing. And the picture here is a tower of the flock, as it was known then. When people would build a compound that was for their family, they would build a watchtower. 
the watchtower was to take and really protect everything else. And so here he's got the vineyard and the sheepfold and everything's there. He's got all his resources poured into it, but doesn't take time to guide it. Doesn't guard it. Says, well, you know, I didn't quite have enough money to build the watchtower, so oh well. It's not watching after your soul. Church. Imagine that negative landmark in your life. And I know some of you have watched this. Maybe it's happened to you. I'm not even sure that person's actually walking with Jesus. Oh, they started great. First couple of rows of stones, that's awesome. But then it began to fall over. Ran out of resources. You see, you can't build the house of God with the things of this world. If you're not building in the Lord, of the Lord, and for the Lord, then that building's coming down eventually. Amen? So you got to prepare for that. So mockery, when people begin their journey, it's interesting, the word count here is actually a, a word in Greek that means pebble. In other words, it's like they took out the rocks and kind of like, okay, you need six of these and seven of those and four of those and... You put them all in their proper place. There is a meticulousness to this understanding that should pervade your entire life. It should go to every area of your life. Why? Because ultimately, you want to finish the race, amen? I don't want to get to the end of my life and then stumble across the finish line. I want to run through the tape. For those of you that have had the opportunity to either run track or cross country and you you're out to the end of the, you, you don't want to just get there and like fall down and roll underneath the tape. You want to, you want to cut the tape. You want to go all the way. You want to drive through the finish line. You don't want to see it and go, well, I almost made it. A third thing. Any of you figured out that the Christian life is a battle? Why do you suppose Jesus gives this little parabolic statement? What king going to make war against another king? Did you know you're at war? His name is Satan. His name means adversary. He's Apollyon. He's destroyer. He's a thief. He's a liar. And he's powerful. And he wants to kill you and your family and this church and God's witness in this world. And you better wake up to the eventuality that one day you're going to get shot at. I was talking in the green room before I came out. I would say at least 50% of the time, I will not be able to sleep on Saturday night. Not because I don't go to bed on time. I am meticulous at going to bed on time. I'm like stupid going to bed on time. I'm like, honey, it's 9.02. It's time for bed. Siri's trying to tell me what time it is, by the way. It isn't that. It's that Satan doesn't want me to teach. So I can't go to sleep. I pray. And I go to sleep, and then guess what happens? Nightmares, worrying about you all. And that's not meant to puff me up. That's what pastors do. Is it going to rain? I wake up. This is nuts. I wake up in Lomita. It was pouring this morning. Okay? So guess what I'm thinking? Oh, Lord, we're trying so hard. Now it's, it's raining. We're going to have the first service. It's out. We got the heaters. And it's going to be. And I get here, and guess what? The enemy was in my head going, well, you better just not go then. Get here, it's dry. It's a war. Jesus hasn't come back yet. It's going to be a war until he gets here. Get ready for the war. You can count on it. Sometimes it will be more fierce than other times. Sometimes the cost will be higher. Sometimes you'll be in that 
area of relative peace. You're, you're not at a forward operating base. You're back, you're, you're on R&R someplace. You're way behind the lines. You're not getting shot at, but someday you're going to get shot. You're going to get wounded. And you're going to need each other to bandage you up to get you back in the battle. So Jesus says, prepare for it. And finally, the Lord kind of summarizes these somewhat salty sayings, you might say. And so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That seems kind of hard. But what Jesus is saying is, look, you have to get rid of you and pick up him. Put off and put on. Not that you won't be saved, but there's something other than being saved for all of us. It's being useful for the king and for his kingdom. And so he says salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? How will that preservation, that sterilization, the the consecration, the valuation, how will those things that salt did during that day and time that Jesus is speaking to these people, how would that work in your life if you won't pick up your cross, forsake everything, and follow him? Because salt was intended to be, get this, pure. This example is one they would have understood very well. Did you know the Roman soldier got paid Part of his wages was paid in salt. It was so valuable, that's where our phrase, he's not worth his salt, came from. It's a Roman saying. In other words, here's your 10% of your wages in salt because that salt could season your food. That salt could preserve things. That salt could sterilize a wound. I know you don't like pouring salt in an open wound, but it will kill almost every bit of bacteria in that wound. And Jesus is saying, so here's what would happen if you got your salt. Your salt didn't come. It didn't come from Morton's, okay? It wasn't pure and shiny and white. It wasn't in like a Himalayan sea salt grinder. It looked like a sack of dirt. And so if you wanted salt... You picked up the salt and you pinched it between your fingers. That's also where the phrase, a pinch of salt, came from. So you would take and roll it between your fingers and the salt would drop out and the clay would stay and you would throw the clay on the floor of your house and it would be trampled underfoot. So Jesus is saying, look, you don't want to be the kind of salty dirt that gets dumped on the floor of the house. You want to be real salt, pure salt. You you want to be valuable before the Lord. And so he says, look, I want you to preserve my name in this culture. I want you to be a purifying agent in this world. I I want you to take bland things and make them beautiful in this world. You get it? He's saying, look, the value of salt is in pure salt, which just happens to be when it's pure white. What's the color of heaven? White. Now, don't take that too far, okay? I know what some of you were thinking, all right? That's not what I was getting at. That's not what the Bible says. It's just the glory of the Lord. It's Shekinah. It just happens to be that when you stare into light, it, it, it blinds you, right? Blinds you to everything else. And so the clay comes out of your life. The purity comes into your life. The preservative from sin comes into your life. You end up being like he is, holy. And here's the crazy thing. You know why Gatorade tastes kind of salty? Because it makes you thirsty so that you refresh your body with that which is necessary 
which is water. So salt makes you thirsty for living water. You become an agent for the, for the, the Lord and not an agent for the enemy. So these pictures are all wrapped together. It's like, what do we want to be, church? I want to be a wise warrior. I want to be a salty saint. I want to be a bountiful builder. I want to be a true disciple. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be salt. I I want to consider the cost. I want to die to myself like he did. I I want to be the currency this world needs, which is Jesus. I want to be a disciple. Let's be disciples, church. The world needs us right now. Our country needs us right now. We need to stand up for the real king. Amen? Would you stand and we'll close in prayer? Remind you that we'll have some pastors up front. If you haven't taken that initial step, you haven't invited Christ into your life, you need to do that today. Come, say, I, I want to I start the journey. Maybe you've been struggling. You, you haven't been a wise builder. Perhaps you've been unsalty as a saint. Come, be prayed for. Invite Christ to do something new in your life. Let's be disciples this week. Let's show the world what it looks like to be real followers of Jesus. Father, we thank you for sending your son. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming. And God, we would pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, they haven't taken that initial step, that first step of being first a disciple. And then they haven't begun that journey of discipleship. Lord, we pray for each of us, those areas where we're weak, those areas that we need to grow in. Would you please work and move by the power of your spirit to change us and mold us and shape us? Would your word fashion us into mighty instruments, men and women fit for your service, true disciples of the King? Father, we thank you for your love. Pray that you would bless us, Lord. Strengthen us for the war that's ongoing. Help us, Lord, to be salt, to be light. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.